So we're going to turn our attention now to uh, the book of 1 Timothy. And uh, if you have not you know, ever found the book of 1 Timothy, it's in the New Testament. Just use your index. It's a, it's a smaller book, uh, kind of partway through the book of the New Testament. As a way into the book of 1 Timothy, uh, I'd like us to think about uh, two different kinds of letters. Two different kinds of letters. I'm going to give you two pictures of letters. The first uh, is, is this. When I was just out of my first year of university... I did what I think most university students uh, try to do, which is I, I looked for a very good job, a well-paying job. I wanted the big money, okay? I didn't want, uh, you know, minimum wage job if I could avoid it. And so what I did is uh, I, I'd heard about some friends of mine that made big money uh, working up north tree planting. You ever heard of tree planting? Tree planting, in case you're not aware, involves basically hiking back and forth uh, across a block of clear-cut trees where they logged everything, and you carry on your hips, like there's three sort of pouches, all with seedlings, and you are seeking to plant the next generation of our forests. It is a noble task, but it is not a pleasant one for the most part. Uh, it's beautiful. The scenery is beautiful, but you're scrambling over logs. You're getting all cut up. You, you have tons of mosquitoes, so many mosquitoes. We would put uh, t-shirts here and here just so our eyes could be seen. And then you get that DEET oil, which is carcinogenic, I'm pretty sure. And you rub it all over your eyes. And then you would, you would plant for hours and hours a day. You'd go back at night. You'd live in a tent. And uh, it, was, it was hard. And I would get these uh, headaches because there was pressure. You, you only got paid by, for every tree. And every tree was like eight cents, 10 cents. So to make good money, the veterans, they would plant like six, 700 trees a day. And so you're always like, go, go, go. And you were on your own. So I would get stressed out. I would be, I'd be in the middle of this, this landscape of fallen trees. And I'd be thinking, man, I wish I was anywhere else but here. <laughs> I mean, I would think back to my uh, stressful university exams that I had just done. And I would think, man, I'd love to just write an exam right now. Because then I could just be, you know, in comfort. Uh, but the one thing, a couple of things that would encourage us, one is uh, we would go into town to Prince George, the beautiful metropolis that it is. We would get a hot shower, we'd see a movie, uh, we'd get a screamer, which is a Slurpee with uh, ice cream on it. That was the, the treat. And we'd go into the, the office. Uh, and there sometimes in the cubbies would be a letter. It would be a letter from someone back home. And when I saw a letter, man, I would be so excited. I would take the letter, I wouldn't open it. I'd go back, wait until I'm in my tent, get my lantern out, and I would read the words from whoever it was, a friend, family member. And man, it would, it would encourage me. It would motivate me so much. The next day, I would plant with such gusto because I was, I don't know, I felt connected with someone who cared about me. I felt not isolated, not alone. Even if it was someone who, you know, when I was living my daily life, I'd just be like, hey, how's it going? It wouldn't be a big deal. But that point of connection was so encouraging. That is in part how we should view the book of 1 Timothy. It is a letter. In case you're not aware, many of the books in the New Testament are letters uh, written between usually a church planter and a church. In this case, written from Paul to a young man named Timothy. And this letter was a letter of encouragement. It's meant to be a letter of encouragement for us. But not just encouragement. The other picture that we should have in terms of a, of a letter or a message uh, is of a communication from military command to the front. Imagine whatever war you want to imagine, World War I in the trenches, World War II with the chaos of the invasion. Uh, imagine a group of soldiers that have been pinned down. They're under heavy enemy fire. They have a resolve to move forward, but they're not sure which way. 
because of the chaos of war, their original strategy, they're not sure what's next. And then thankfully they get a message. The radio guy makes contact. Someone comes with a word from, from their commanding officer. Here's what you're going to do next. So it's an encouraging word because they know they're not alone. But more importantly, it has real practical help. Steps for the next part of their mission. How to fulfill it well in wisdom. That also is the book of First Timothy. It's not only a letter of encouragement. It's also a letter of instruction. It's a letter that, that is for the church back then and for us today. And that's really how we should approach this, this book. For this morning... We are mostly going to look at the greeting, the first two verses. But even there, we are going to see that this is a message to us, both of instruction and of encouragement. So what I'm going to do is read the opening greeting. It'll be on the screen if you don't uh, have your Bible. And then we're going to look at both of those themes that we see here. Uh, first, uh, a little bit of background too. So here's First Timothy. Uh, just the first verses. It begins this way. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's it. That's the beginning. That's the intro. But in there, as I said, we're going to see some of these essential themes. Uh, To begin with, though, let's talk a little bit of context. It's always helpful when you start a book of the Bible to know who's writing it, why are they writing it, what's going on. And what you see there right away is, of course, that this is a letter. It's from uh, Paul to Timothy. Uh, Paul was the first and greatest missionary in the Christian church. He was the church planter um, that went throughout all the known world at the time. Interesting thing about Paul is that originally he hated the church. He was a persecutor of the church, but then he came to faith and he was sent on a mission. In fact, he went on a number of missionary journeys And so I'm going to show you a map of his first missionary journey. It's here. And I have a laser pointer because they're fun. Um, So he started out here, uh, as you can see. But uh, he ended up going all the way up through Lycia, Asia, and Galatia. This town here, Lystra, is uh, important to us because that's where he met Timothy. In fact, uh, I'm going to read to you Acts 16, 1 to 3, which describes their encounter, first encounter. Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So here's a young man, young man in the faith. And Paul says, why don't you come with us? And what we find is you read kind of the different letters and throughout the New Testament is that they became very, very close. Uh, The language that Paul uses to describe Timothy, uh, he talks about him as faithful, uh, a fellow worker with God. Uh, when he's writing in the letter of, to the Philippians, he says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. So Paul began to really trust Timothy. He wasn't just a kind of a protege. He was one that he, he trusted in. And in fact, he sent him on a number of important ministry assignments. Uh, he sent him to the church of Thessalonica when they were facing serious persecution. Uh, he sent him to Corinth when they were kind of getting nutty to remind them of Paul's teachings. He sent him later to Macedonia and Philippi. And here, right now, he is in Ephesus. And he's been left there because uh, Paul wanted him to go and deal with some of the false teachers. So here is Paul's second missionary uh, journey. Uh, This one, he went, uh, began sort of in the same area of Antioch. And he went up through, all the way around. And this this right here is Ephesus. Uh, That is where Timothy is. 
Uh, That's where the church was planted, one of the many churches, and where he left Timothy. And he did that because he knew there was some things that needed to get taken care of. Now, we have a verse in this uh, letter to Timothy that helps us to understand kind of what Paul's intention is. Like, why is he writing this? It's uh, kind of a theme verse. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, actually two verses, 14 and 15. Uh, Here's what he says to Timothy about why he's writing this. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So you see there, uh, first of all, where we got our series title from, the household of God, which is a way of talking about the church. But also you can see that uh, Paul's understanding of the church, and for Timothy as well, is that there is a mission. That their job, our job, is to be a pillar and buttress of truth in the world. To be able to proclaim the truths of the gospel. That's, that's what we're about. That's what we're doing. And so what Paul wants to do is to give him some instruction so that he would know how to do that well. How to lead the church well because Paul is going to probably be delayed. And so that means that this word is, certainly was for Timothy, was for the church in Ephesus at the time, but it's also for us as the church here and now. These letters that were written were inspired by the word of God to both uh, equip and encourage the church back then and, and for us today. So we want to look specifically at this idea of instruction. What is it, what is it based on? Well, we're going to look back to uh, verse 1. I'll read it again. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Now, ancient letters are a little bit different than our letters in that they state the person writing it right at the beginning. It's kind of like for us today uh, in our email inbox, we see all the people who sent us a letter. Here you see Paul right away saying, this is from me, I'm Paul. But he doesn't just say his name. You'll notice he also gives uh, his sort of credentials. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, By the command of God. Now, there are a lot of disciples of Jesus. Pretty much anyone who follows Jesus could be classified as a disciple. That's what the word means. But to be an apostle was something special. There was a a reserved group. The 12 disciples that we often hear of, they became the 12 apostles of Jesus. And whereas disciple means kind of a follower of Jesus, an apostle means more an emissary of Jesus. One who comes on his behalf to do his work. So, Paul calls himself an apostle, which is interesting for a couple of reasons. Uh, Number one, they already had 12 apostles by this point. Uh, Judas uh, betrayed Jesus. He was cast out, obviously. Um, But they added another, Matthias. He was added back in, so they had 12 apostles. They didn't really need another one. The other thing is that to be an apostle, uh, one of the the things you needed to have is to have met Jesus. When they picked Matthias to replace Judas, their thing was, who's been with us since the beginning? Who knows him? Who's done ministry with him? Paul had never met Jesus. In fact, he he didn't really like Jesus very much, to be honest. He kind of hated him, kind of hated his church. He thought that the the church of Jesus was a cult that was ruining everything that was right with Judaism. And so not only did Paul not, you know, hadn't met Jesus, but he also would be the least likely candidate, even if they had needed someone else. Yet amazingly, he's the one that Jesus picks. We see this in the book of Acts, where Paul, who's persecuting the church, uh, if you know the story on the road to Damascus, we have that terminology where a major change takes place in our life. That's what happened to Paul. Jesus appeared to him. There was a blinding light. You know, Paul was blinded, and his whole life changed. Jesus said to him, look, I'm the one you're persecuting. I am the Messiah. 
and he came to faith. But more than just a, a point of conversion for, for Paul, this was also a commissioning. Here's what we find. These are the words that Jesus speaks over Paul. Uh, Acts 9, 15 uh, to 17. He says of him, he is, this is Paul, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So what Jesus says right from the beginning is, look, he is now going to take my name. He's going to go and, and reach the nations really for, for me. This is, this is what I'm calling him to do. He is making him an apostle. He's met Jesus face to face and he's been commissioned. And you notice that Paul will often reference these credentials. Every letter, almost every letter that he writes, he begins with a reference to himself as an apostle. I'm just going to read a few of the first lines of the different books, the different letters. To the Romans, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. To the Corinthians, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle. Galatians, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. To which you might say eventually, okay, Paul, we get it. Where we get it? We, you are an apostle. Yes, you have the badge, right? It's like security guard, right? Look at, look at me. Look at all my credentials. Look at who I am. You might get the sense that, man, Paul's so big on himself. But that's not what he's doing. There's, there's a purpose, a selfless purpose in him reiterating again and again his role as an apostle. See, he's been called to establish and instruct the church. And what Paul knows is that effective instruction only happens when there is genuine authority. When everyone involved understands the one who's giving the instruction has the authority to give that instruction. So he's telling everyone again and again, in this case, Timothy, and by extension, the Ephesian church and us, look, this is the grounds for my authority because he knows that if there's lack of clarity there, then they will be very often unwilling to receive his instruction. This happens all over the place, actually. For example, uh, I am an official coach of the Metro Ford Soccer Club. I have a jacket that only coaches are allowed to get. It's a special jacket. It doesn't say coach on it, but everyone knows. Look, if you're wearing this, you are a coach. I have great authority for all soccer players under the age of seven, because that's who I coach. Coach Thomas's team, go Team Mexico. But even though I have the jacket, I have noticed that I don't have a lot of authority when it comes to speaking soccer wisdom into my older children. Why? Well, they will tell me, Dad, you're not my coach. Also, they will say, Dad, you don't know anything about soccer. But that's beside the point. The main thing I think is, if I was their coach, they would have to listen to me because I would have the authority. Because there's a lack of clarity then, they, they don't benefit from all of my wisdom. This is true in every situation. Think of parents and children, teachers and students. It, there needs to be clarity about the position of authority. Then the instruction can be received, especially because, certainly for Paul, there are many times when he instructs the church in a way that the church is not either comfortable with or familiar with or, or presently doing. He's trying to correct them very often. He's trying to push them. And if Paul is just some guy who has some great ideas about the church, then the church in Ephesus, you could imagine them saying, I don't know, that's not really the way we do it here, Paul. Like, that, that sounds great, but we're, we got something going on over here This actually works better. Well, that's not the way that I believe Jesus, you know, interacts. And that's not the gospel that I know. And in fact, that was the problem, that there are many people teaching a false gospel 
And they were not recognizing his authority. And so Paul always doubles down. And he says, he says, look, I'm not just some guy. I am an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. And he says it so that Timothy would be very clear and the church itself would be very clear that the instructions that he gives, it's not just suggestions. It's binding. It's authoritative. As if Jesus himself is speaking to us as the church or to us as individuals. And so right from the beginning, the very first line of his letter, he is doubling down on authority because it is something that we need to settle. As we approach this book, we as the church and we as individuals, we need to to think about how are we going to receive these instructions. There are going to be things that are probably either contrary or different than what we might think be best for the church. How are we going to receive those things? Are we going to recognize that in fact, Paul has been placed there by Jesus himself for our good and for our blessing and for our instruction? Or are we going to pick and choose those things which we think are best for us according to our own wisdom? The thing that's helpful for us as we wrestle with this, because it is a wrestle sometimes, right? Anyone who's, who's been reading through the Bible faithfully or new to the Bible especially, I remember when I first came to the Bible, there's things you, you come to and you're like, man, I just don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't understand enough or my heart hasn't changed enough. But you notice what Paul does. He doesn't just land hard on the fact that this is authoritative. He also lands hard on the loving and life-giving character of God. So you look, look back to the way he says it. He says, Paul, an apostle, right? There's my authority of Christ Jesus by command of, not just of God, but of God, our Savior. Not just of Jesus, but of Jesus, our hope. Philip Ryken, who's uh, a writer commentating on this passage, he says that in these beginning uh, words of Paul, he includes every conceivable thing, almost everything that God has done for us as a church in the past and in the future. When he speaks about God, our savior, he's, he's reiterating the fact that, look, it's God who saves. He has saved us through Jesus on the cross. That, that's been done for you. And when he says Christ Jesus, our hope, he's, he's reminding Timothy of the fact that Jesus will return. He will, the, the hope that we have is for our lives forever with him, either in heaven or at the end of the ages when heaven and earth come together, that Jesus will reign, the kingdom of God will reign. No more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. He's saying, look, this is the God who is sending me. The words that I speak, he's saying, are authoritative, but they are also life-giving. What he wants Timothy to know really clearly is, look, God really loves you. He really loves the church. The things that he speaks are, are not out of self-interest. They're not out of a self-aggrandizement that he wants to puff himself up. Pa- Paul is speaking because he has a heart for the church. It's the heart of Christ. And so, yes, we should receive these words as from a position of authority, but also from a position of love. And there's great encouragement. And that really is the wrestle we need to figure out. We, we should be asking ourselves, I hope you are. If you're going to be with us, if you're thinking of it, you know, when I read this, this book, I'd encourage you just to read through 1 Timothy. It's not long. You know, what am I hearing here? Am I really willing to receive what is there? Am I, am I willing to examine it to the point of really understanding it so that I might see how it, how it blesses the church and blesses my life personally? So, so the first thing we see very clearly is that there is going to be instruction. This is a letter of instruction from a position of authority, but also we're beginning to see there is great encouragement here. So let's turn our attention to uh, the second verse, verse 2. 
He says to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a really tender language there. And if you know a bit about Paul and Timothy, you know that this is, this is really heartfelt. That he, he really wants to connect with Timmy, uh, Timothy at a, at a loving... That's what he would call him. That was his nickname that I just found out. Okay. The thing about Timothy is, uh, if you remember from when he met him, Timothy's mom was Jewish, but his dad was Greek. So that meant he grew up uh, as what people would call him a half-breed. He would have been ostracized from the, the Jewish community at the time. He would never have been fully welcomed in. He would have always considered himself to be an illegitimate child. That's how people would talk about him. But here Paul reminds him, tells him, look, you, you are a true child of the faith. And that's because in coming to Christ, he has been welcomed into the family of God, wholeheartedly, completely, with all the inheritance, rights. But you notice he doesn't just say you are a true child of the faith. He says, you are my true child of the faith. So why does he say that? Uh, Paul probably didn't lead Timothy to Christ. Probably that was his mom or his grandmother. We have references to that elsewhere. But what we're seeing here is that Paul has spent so much time with Timothy. Like he's, he's labored with him for, for years. They're so close that he, Paul doesn't think of Timothy as just an apprentice or a protege. He, he thinks of him as a son. He's that close with him. And this is important because Sending, like sending an employee on a difficult assignment is, is one thing. Sending an apprentice on a difficult assignment is one thing. But sending your son to a hostile environment, that, that's something else. And that's what's going on here between Paul and Timothy. See, this church in Ephesus, it, it was not an easy place to be or lead in. Uh, this is what Paul says about the church in Ephesus as he's leaving it the last time he was there. Uh, He says to them, uh, the Ephesian church, look, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. See, this is where Paul left Timothy. He left him in a context where people were preaching false gospels. And these, these men were probably older than him. They'd probably been in the community longer than Timothy. And here's the thing. Even though Timothy was trained by Paul, Uh, knew Paul very well, was equipped. Timothy wasn't Paul. Paul was like larger than life. Paul had just the strength of will, this true grit. If you look at him, the different things he goes through in the book of Acts, he'll go into a town, preach the gospel, get stoned, beaten within an inch of his life. He'll get back up, go back into the town, keep preaching. He was just that kind of guy. He would never take no for an answer. Timothy wasn't quite that kind of guy. And we know this because of the way that Paul seeks to encourage him. Here, I just want to read to you some of the verses that we're going to get to as we go through our series, but things he says to to Timothy personally. Here's uh, 1 Timothy 1.7. He says to him, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That's hinting at that this Timothy might be feeling fearful at the moment. Uh, 4.12, he says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And 5.23 says to Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach for your frequent ailments. See, Timothy, the picture we get of him is that he knows the gospel well. He's been well-trained, well-equipped, but also he's someone who struggles with fear. It's difficult for him to be in this context, being the younger uh, new kid on the block. And also physically, he's, he's got what? Stomach problems? He's got something that's just, he always feels weak. So imagine Timothy 
Imagine him in that context. Imagine him trying to have these conversations, trying to lead the church, having opposition and difficulty, and he's probably every night just, just thinking, man, I, I don't know if this is going well. Like, I'm not sure if I'm the right guy for this. And on top of that, he's got pain. You know what it's like. You've got a big week ahead of you, and then you get a flu or a sore throat, and you're like, oh, it's the last thing I need. Timothy has a lot of reasons, evidently, to be discouraged. Paul knows this better than anyone. And yet, what Paul does at the very beginning is is he kind of seeks to overwhelm him with some of the richest and most encouraging truths in the gospel. He he doesn't, just right from the get-go, he doesn't want to let up at all. He doesn't want to soft-pedal into it. What he says to him is this. Look again at verse 2. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This threefold blessing, talking about some of the essential truths of the gospel, this is what Paul leads with. Because he really wants to encourage Timothy the whole way through the letter. So I want to touch on these three things just briefly to remind us of the impact and importance of these parts of what's true about you if you, if you know Jesus. So first, grace. Uh, that word grace there is in the Greek charis, which sounds a lot like the uh, regular Greek greeting. So what Timothy would have read was kind of like a a welcome into the grace of God, a greeting in the grace of God. Now, this grace that Paul writes on is something that he, he, I mean, it's a love of Paul. He highlights it all the time. In fact, the last letter that he wrote to the Ephesian church was filled with the grace of God. I want to uh, read to you one of the clearest, best verses about the grace of God uh, that Paul wrote to this church, Ephesians 2.8. For by, the grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Is there anything more encouraging for someone who's feeling like they're failing, for someone who's probably feeling like he's not doing the best job than to hear the reminder that, look, you are saved by grace not because you are perfect at all. For someone who struggles with wanting to be perfect, wanting to always nail it every time, the grace of God fills us with encouragement and reminds us that in our sin, we we fail all the time, each one of us. But that didn't prevent God from showing us his love. That in fact, Jesus is the one who is perfect on our behalf. And the gracious love of God means that in spite of our sin, he looked on us with love and affection and he saved us in spite of ourselves. See, this is, this is the initial message of the gospel. And, and it's not just saving grace that we have, if we know the Lord, but it's also a daily grace. It's that he, he seeks to lift us up and encourage us and shape us even in our failings here and now. So it's not just that on some theoretical, theological level, we have sinned, we have gone against the wisdom of God, but also in our everyday lives, when we... When we speak out of turn, when we think out of turn, when we do out of turn, when we, we step into sin or we just make a mess of things, the grace of God continues to remind us that, that that has never been the basis for our relationship with the Lord and that he loves us in spite of that. And so the initial word to Timothy is, look, Timothy, whatever you're going through, remember the grace of God. Remember that he loves you dearly. And the second thing that we see is mercy. Uh, that word uh, means Compassion. In the Old Testament, it means help in times of need. And of course, the big picture of the gospel is that we have a massive need. That in our sin, 
We, we are in debt to the Lord. We, we, we need help. And that has been fulfilled in Christ. But there are other needs. There are other mercies that we, we need day in, day out. And the truth of the gospel is that, that we also have access to that level of help and support. Hebrews 4.16 uh, encourages us in this way. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Paul's word to Timothy and to us is, man, you can daily approach the throne of grace. You have that access if you know the Lord and there will be help in times of need. Now, the last thing uh, is peace and that would have been a very familiar Hebrew greeting, shalom. And so you kind of have both here the Greek and, and the Hebrew greetings for Timothy. But my sense is that peace is the thing which eludes us most frequently as human beings even for those of us who know the Lord. We might know that we have received grace and mercy from God. We might know that on the you know, big picture of things, that when it comes to where we're going, uh, that we have hope in heaven after we die, we know that. And yet in the moment, we, we're full of anxiety. We're full of an unsettledness. We, we worry about the next week and the next month. See, that probably is, is how Timothy was feeling. And yet Paul's reminder of peace is a reminder that is, that is, that is filled with gospel truth and hope. Uh, here's what he says to the Philippians. He says to them in uh, 4.7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is a peace that surpasses all understanding rooted in the truths of God, not rooted in the truths of your circumstances. It's a peace where you can... Breathe deeply and breathe peacefully, even in the midst of great turmoil. But of course, the challenge for Timothy, though he knows all of these things, is that he's probably struggling to actually do that. And probably we are as well. Probably there are things in our lives that mean that that it's really difficult to remember what's true about us. So, So why is that, that for those who know and love Jesus, and in a sense, a real sense, All the major issues of our lives have an answer for them, and yet we still struggle. Well, I think it's because, what we see at least in Scripture, is that there's there's a way in which we can be saved and have this eternal hope, and yet in our day-to-day lives, we still allow the, the lies and the doubts of sin to plague us. Where we... We allow sin to affect us and infect us to the point that we tend to forget or doubt the things that are ultimately true about us. This is always a challenge. And you notice, uh, I, I use the word infect because I think that's a, a good description of what happens. It infects our minds and our heart, the way we think, the way we act, but also because I want to tell you a story about infection. So I just tied it in. So here's my story. I want to tell you a story of something that happened uh, a few weeks ago. This was an incident in the Glezo's home, in our family home. An incident which left me... Uh, Severely injured, I'll just say that. Severely injured, okay? Uh, The details of what happened are not exactly important. Let's just say that there was some measure of foolishness on my part, and I would say a a good level of neglect on the part of my family, okay? I just want to be clear. (laughs) What happened is that uh, I fell off a ladder, okay? We were in the backyard, we were painting a tree fort, and I had the ladder on a tarp, which was foolish, and I was kind of precariously positioned, which was foolish. But also, I would point out, no no one in my family, they're all standing around me. No one held the ladder. No one was standing on the ladder. They just watched me plummet. (laughs) 
And on the way down, I, I cranked my uh, shin. I scraped it all the way down the aluminum rung of the ladder. Got this big gash uh, all the way up. So I was severely injured. And um, <laughs> thankfully, uh, we bandaged it up. And uh, it actually healed very, very well. I was, I was amazed at how quickly it healed. It was painful, of course, but it was healing nicely. And then there was a second incident, also involving some foolishness and some neglect. Um, what happened is that we decided to go to the Cultist Lake Water Park, and, uh, and I decided to go in with the kids to, you know, help them get to the slides, which was foolish because, you know, it's just a big pool of bacteria, basically. But none of my family mentioned that. I just want to point that out. They just said, go, yes, come. They were all laughing and having fun. So about an hour into that uh, dip into the pool, I felt a tingling on my wound. And then about an hour later, it was puffy and it was red. By that evening, I was in the emergency and the doctor said, which was very evident, uh, you have an infection. Yes, I clearly have an infection. So here's the thing I noticed about my, the diff, there's a big difference. I, I knew this in theory, but to experience it, there's a big difference between a wound that is not infected and one that is. Uh, one of the things is there's a lot more pain, but also the healing is very, very slow when there's an infection. After four days, I really thought that this wound was all scabbed over. It was, it was doing nicely. It took two weeks more to get back to that same spot when there was an infection. Why? Well, because obviously my body isn't just trying to heal the wound. It's trying to fight off the bacteria that are trying to kill me. It's a bit, I know, it's a bit much. Okay. So, so how is that helpful for us? Well, here's the thing about sin. Sin is not just a superficial wound. It is a fatal wound in our soul which is leading us to death. The condemnation of sin is always death and death forever. That wound has been healed. It's been dealt with on the cross. If you are a person of faith, you can know for sure that because of what Jesus did, he atoned for our sin, that you are no longer under the penalty of death. There's healing that comes with that gospel truth. But, but there are times when we do foolish things which bring about a greater infection, I would say, from sin. And by that, I mean things like this. We we tend to doubt the truth of God's word. We tend to doubt whether God really is actively involved with our lives. We know on some theoretical level that what he did and that we're saved. And yet today, given what's going on here, I think to myself, man, I don't know if God actually even is listening to me. We doubt the truth of the word of God. We tend to believe lies about ourselves, about the fact that, you know, we... We listen to the other voices in our lives that we're unworthy, that we're not lovable. And all of these things tend to plague us. And what it does is it, it delays the healing that God is trying to do in our, in our soul. It brings greater pain and greater hardship. Now, the answer uh, to my leg was, of course, antibiotics. Uh, the, the doc gave me some antibiotics, but also uh, there, I had to put a lot of uh, antibacterial cream on my leg. And I became a connoisseur of antibacterial ointment. There's a lot of different ones out there. The generic stuff doesn't spread as nice as polysporin, even though you pay more. I want to give you uh, my top choice for uh, what you should have. It's this, the polysporin (laughs) triple. The triple, the three antibiotic agents all working at once. This is the best. It, It spreads on the best and it heals the best. And the connection that I saw in my mind, of course, is that Paul here, he's talking also about this triple blessing of God. You see how it made sense? (laughs) What I want you to do is when you're going through the aisles at Superstore and you see this polysporin, you're going to remember. You're going to remember that there is actually healing that comes. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. 
we don't put on the healing balm of the gospel for reasons that we can't even explain in the moment. We know that we're wounded. We know that we're hurt. We know that we're discouraged. And yet we tend to spin in our own wisdom. We forget the things that are most life-giving to us, which is that God really loves us. That he's been so gracious to us. That he's brought every reason for us to have peace and help and healing. And the other connection between that cream and between the gospel is that in both cases, the power is not in us. The power is not in us. You notice Paul isn't saying to Timothy, Hey, Timothy, remember Macedonia? Remember how well you did there? That was great. Timothy, remember all that I've taught you. You've got this, Timothy. Don't worry. I know you're young, but you, have, you know the gospel better than those guys. He doesn't focus on Timothy at all. What he says is, Timothy, look, your strength, your peace, it comes from a greater source of blessing. And Timothy, if you would remember that, if you would walk in that, then you would have everything that you need. You would be healed from the, the wounds that are kind of perpetually seeking to tear you apart or, or bring greater pain into your life. You'd be equipped for the job that I have for you. So that really is the encouragement that Paul is giving. An encouragement for Timothy in that moment in history for that church. But the encouragement is for us as well. And so that's the, that's the call for us as we begin this new book. Are we going to receive the instruction from this book as authoritative? Do we trust and know that, that God has written it, given it through the, the hand of Paul for our blessing? And do we believe that he desires for us to be greatly encouraged in the midst of the instruction and each and every day. I mean, honestly, when you think about the things that are plaguing you, that are drawing you down, how often have you applied gospel ointment to that? Are you in the word of God? Are you in prayer? Are you saying, Lord, I'm feeling this way, and yet I know, I can see here in scripture, that's not true of me, but why can't I feel it? Lord, would you help me? Would you transform my mind and my heart so there would be genuine healing? Not because I'm thinking positively, not because I just have to find the strength within myself, but because I know there's a greater strength. See, to Timothy, this young man in this difficult situation, that, I mean, this letter must have been just so life-giving, so encouraging. What we're going to find is that the instruction that comes is at times difficult. There are going to be things that push us. But my hope is, is that we read it all in light of the the truths that we see here right from the beginning. That God's heart is still for us as individuals and for us as a church. That his desire is that we grow in every good way, that we're healed in every way, and that we would genuinely experience the blessing of his grace, mercy, and peace. I want to end just by reading this, this greeting again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, it's amazing to think that these words that we read today were words that were initially written uh, so many years ago in a context so different than ours. And yet, Lord, you still see fit to to speak to us through these words. Lord, we're thankful for the reminder of your grace and mercy and peace. 
I pray, Lord, for each one here that you would help us. Help us to seek to apply the gospel to those areas of our lives where we are discouraged, where we are feeling isolated or alone or just ineffective. Help us, God, to know that that it's actually, thankfully, not up to us to bring peace into our lives, but we can receive it because of your grace, because of your work, Jesus. I pray also, Lord, that you would help us as a church to uh, receive the instruction that you are going to bring to us through this book and that we would do it understanding the authority from which it comes, but also understanding the, the love and the desire for life that you have for us as a church. God, I pray that each one here, that as we, as we think and dwell on uh, this text and as we read this book, Lord, that you would transform us and shape us and bring healing to our soul. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.